Good morning, and welcome to all of our guests, visitors, and radio listeners today. Thank you for joining us for worship at First Church. Before we start our service, I have several announcements. Congratulations are in order for Brian and Melissa Glock, who were united in marriage on Saturday, September 14th. Melissa is the daughter of Dave and Anita Rittiger. Pastor Joel's Sunday school class on the book of Revelation starts today and will be meeting in the ministry center. The sign-up sheets for the Connected Bible Study are in the back of the sanctuary on the information center back there. Uh, Please check those out before you leave today. The Harvest Picnic is Sunday, October 6th at the New Knoxville Park from from noon to 2 p.m. Bring along a dish to share and also invite a friend or two to come with you. All are welcome to join us. Another announcement today, I'd like to call Dave Bumbauer forward. Just real quick, uh, Thursday night we had our uh, Agape board meeting, and the announcement is in the bulletin on the one, uh, the coat drive that we do every year. Um, one other thing to think about with that is if you don't have any coats that you want to donate, if you want to donate cash, they do get quite a discount from Kohl's, and what they do is they organize all the coats that they have, they see what sizes they are short on, and then they can go to Kohl's and buy a few of the sizes that that necessarily don't have in their inventory so that if somebody comes in, they always have a coat that fits their size. And uh, gloves and scarves, hats are always welcome also to go with the coats. The other thing coming up is the Thanksgiving and Christmas boxes. A lot of those people received those meals in them boxes two to three weeks ahead of the holidays uh, because they get a box once a month. So Connie has a list of uh, items that they put in the boxes that I gave her on Friday morning. If you have, uh, maybe if we can get it in the bulletin the next week or whatever, but then those are the food items that they need to start collecting. Even though it's 85 degrees out today, it doesn't seem like holidays yet, but the holidays are coming. And I know our church has always been very generous with our giving, so um, we appreciate that at Agape. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. And now to start our service, those who are able, would you please rise and join me in our call to worship? This morning is taken from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but, those, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Please remain standing for opening hymn number 345, Blessed Assurance.
children come forward for the children's chat. Just take a moment and greet one another. Wow, good morning. You got your backs to me. Yoo-hoo, I'm up here. Hi. Did you guys have a good week? Yeah? It's like summer yet, isn't it? Oh, enjoy. We're in for a big surprise. We've been talking a lot about families, haven't we? And love kind of goes together, doesn't it? You have a lot of love in your family? Uh Uh-huh. Grandparents, parents, aunts, uncles, cousins. Yeah. You know, God, God is all about love. That's who he is. He's all about God. And in the Bible, it says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves have been born of God and knows God. So if you love somebody and you share love, that means you're of God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So when you love, that shows you know God, and you're sharing God's love. Now, I have a magnet. You guys like magnets, don't you? All right. I've got a magnet here. Let's pretend this magnet is God's love. Okay. And I have some really colorful, if I can say it, whoops, get out of there. What are they? Paper clips. They're fancy ones. Real pretty ones. Huh? Do you care whether you have a, a yellow or a green paper clip on your papers? But they are fancy, aren't they? So God loves... Fancy, colorful people. Are you fancy and colorful? We all are in our own way. And then I've got these paper clips. Ooh, what's wrong with them? They're boring. They're just plain old paper clips. Well, there's nothing wrong. You like them? Good. I'm glad. Because some of us are boring and plain and whatever. But does God still love us? Yes, he does. So he loves colorful people, and he likes plain people, because God loves everybody. Now, I've got something in this package. Didn't take me long to find these. What are those? Nasty nails and washers and just gross. Left on my counter this morning. Ugh. No. When we were on the farm, it was washing machine junk. Yeah. But they're gross, aren't they? Ugly. And sometimes there's some ugly people out there that do bad things. And what do we call them? Sinners. But you know what? What does this magnet tell you? That God loves loves them also. God's love goes every place. So that's really important to know, because, you know, to be a true friend, you have to show love, and God is love. He is made of love, and if we tell people about God's love, they're going to be attracted to him, just like that magnet, and they're going to go to him. 
God is so full of love, he draws all kinds of people, fancy people, plain people, people that have done wrong things, that are sinners. And if we draw them to him, they might become followers of God, Jesus. When we tell these other people about God's love, it's like using a magnet. We're attracting them to God and all of his wonder. Who wants to be a magnet for God? How many people out there want to be a magnet for God? Amen. Look at that. Awesome. And we can be in very simple ways. And how would you be that magnet? Hmm? Being kind to people, sharing things at school, listening to mom and dad and teachers. Let us say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to pray that you will make us magnets for you so others can feel your love. Amen. Killed in Wardak Province in Afghanistan. Sergeant First Class Jeremy W. Griffin, 40, from Greenbrier, Tennessee. Lost in our service, Washington State. Air Traffic Controller Russell A. Blake, 24, from Westbury, New York. In California, Chief Aviation Machinist Mate Stephen K. Page, 52, from Texas as well as Specialist Marlo, I'm sorry, Marlon Wardell Brumfield, 22, from Lumpoc, California, and in Texas, Private First Class Mason Weber, 22, from Marion, Iowa. able, I invite you to once again stand as we continue to worship the Lord together by singing number 349, Trust and Obey. Please sing verses 1, 4, and 5.
seated. This time I want to invite forward uh, Sharon Colson. Uh, once again, she's going to be giving us an update about Operation Christmas Child. We've already heard for her about how we can get involved, and today you're going to hear about how, what kind of impact this sort of ministry has on those who receive those boxes. Thanks, Sharon. Thank I brought the tissues along. Over the next several weeks, I'm going to be sharing with the Sunday School classes videos about Operation Christmas Child, and I'll be sharing with you true shoebox stories, which I refer to as OCC Miracle Minutes. Today I want to share with you the testimony of Dania, a shoebox recipient. She gave this testimony at the Operation Christmas Child Processing Center last year at Charlotte when we were there during the press conference with the Reverend Franklin Graham. It can also be found in video form at SamaritansPurse.org. It's stories like this that make my heart melt and make me want to be involved in making these miracles happen. Listen and enjoy. Well, why don't we take a moment and uh, pray together and see if that, ha- see if that helps. <laughs> um, take a moment and pray, and if they can get that up and running, then we'll listen to that testimony after our prayer time. Um, give them a moment to, to try to figure out what's going on. Let's, let's pray to the Lord together at this moment. Lord God, I thank you so much uh, that for your goodness and for your faithfulness towards us. Lord, I thank you for uh, the opportunity that we have to gather and worship worship you this morning. Uh, I thank you, Lord, uh, uh, for for, uh, your faithfulness to us, as I just said, Uh, because, Lord, without that, we would be lost. Lord, I pray that you would help us to worship you well this morning. Um, Lord, you're present here in this place. Your word promises that is true, and so I pray that we would all be able to uh, feel and experience your presence here in this place as we worship you through song, through testimony, through prayer, and through opening your word together. Lord, thank you also for uh, the privilege that it is to come to you in prayer. And uh, I pray that we would be able to not take that for granted, Lord, but be able to bring all of our prayers and concerns to you. Lord, there's lots of of needs out there in this church and this community and and around the world. And so we lift them each to you this morning. Uh, Lord, you know that that uh, though we may not know the details of what it, what's going on with the names represented in our bulletin or other concerns we have, we know that you are sovereign and you are good and you know each one of those details. We, so we trust them and trust them to you and to your perfect care and to, according to your perfect will. Lord, we pray all these things according to, uh, as Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. I think we are good to go. Thank you for your patience there. I encourage you to listen to this testimony and hear about the impact that Operation Christmas Child has on those who receive the boxes. In the Middle East, as Christians, the majority of people there did not believe in Jesus and were not accepting of Christianity. But my parents were always there for me and supported me. We lived in severe poverty. I remember so many nights when I had to go to bed hungry. Everything I owned had been passed down to me from other people. I remember feeling like I was missing something, 
Feeling like I did not have the same things that the other kids have, I told my mom I wish I could have new things that the other children. I wish that I could have something that I could call my own. My mom encouraged me to pray. She said, "Dania, I know your dad and I cannot provide for you, but ask God for anything. If He sees that it's good for you and you really need it, He will give it to you." So I began to pray every night before I went to bed. I asked the Lord to fulfill all my needs and to send me something that I could call my own. And at the same time, as a family, we prayed for a radio. We could not afford to buy a radio, but we wanted to be able to listen to the news and learn about what's going on in the world. One day, I went to my Sunday school class, and the teacher said, "Today you are going to get a gift." I remember the moment when they called the first child's name and pulled out a shoebox and handed it to the child. It was a beautifully wrapped box. Finally, my name was called, and it felt like my heart stopped. I was just shaking with excitement. The smile was all over my face. The joy was filling my heart. I wanted to open the gift right there, but my mom didn't want me to lose the shoebox items. So my brother and I ran home, and we dashed up the stairs and rushed into our bare, empty room. All four of us sat on the floor. As I opened the lid and looked inside the shoebox, I was just so shocked and surprised. Everything in my shoebox was brand new. At that moment, it hit me. We were experiencing the answer to our prayers. But inside the shoebox was another surprise for our family. My dad pulled the item all the way out of the box and held it in his hand for everyone to see. We were all shocked. What we found inside that box was a real radio. We knew God answered our prayers. For that shoebox to come specifically to our family to answer our specific prayer request, we knew that was only possible through the divine orchestration of our amazing God. He used a simple shoebox to not only answer my prayers but the prayers of my entire family. Several years after I received my shoebox, it became very dangerous for us to live in a country because we were Christians. We had to flee and leave almost everything behind, including all my shoebox items. The memories and the joy are still with me, and they will forever be in my heart. Every time I speak about receiving my shoebox, the same excitement comes back to me. That gift planted great joy in my heart and allowed me to experience His love in a new way. So. I want to thank every one of you for sharing His love with children like me all around the world by packing shoebox gift. Right. Thank you again. What a! This is one of those ministries where we we do things on our end, but we don't always get to see or hear about the results. And so there are more videos like that, more testimonies on the Samaritan's Purse website. And if you would like to learn more about the impact that this ministry has, I encourage you to check that out. This time I'm going to wait for all those who are helping out with the offering. Thank you.
You may be seated. Our our scripture reading today comes from 1 John, chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, for love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are good. And as we open your word together now, Lord, remind us of your goodness. Remind us once again of your faithfulness and of all that you have done for us. Lord, I do pray that you would make your love complete in our lives. And as we look at this passage together today, uh, Lord, help us to to know and understand, uh, but also, Lord, put into practice what that means for each of us in our own lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One of my favorite movies when I was growing up was the Back to the Future trilogy. I don't know if any of you were uh, fans of that show as well. But uh, the second movie, the, one of the ba- major plot points of that movie is they traveled into the future, which, by the way, the future that they traveled to was 2015. So just put that into perspective a little bit here as we sit in 2019. Uh, but that just blows me away. I don't have any flying cars or anything like that, but um, maybe one day. But as they travel into the future, right, Marty McFly, right, he, he, he buys a sports almanac right, from 2015 in hopes of taking that back into the past and making a little bit of money off of, off of the results of scores that had yet to happen for him in his past. Right? Uh, not, not to you know, spoil a movie for you that came out 30 years ago, but it doesn't turn out so well for him and for the, for the rest of the world. Right? Uh, but the, he was driven by a desire to want to know the unknowable. He was driven by a desire to want to have certainty and, and confidence in what was about to take place and about to happen. And that's a pretty common desire for all of us if you think about it. Right? I, I don't know about you, but I would love to know for certain things in my life that are maybe uncertain or unknowable. Uh, I have a one-and-a-half-year-old at home who is in the obstinate stage, right? And I would just love nothing more than to know exactly what he's thinking <laughs> and what he needs in that given moment uh, as he is crying and throwing a fit. And he's unable to communicate, obviously, uh, how he's feeling and what's going on. And as a parent, I'd love nothing more than be able to know for sure how to take care of him or how to, how to help him uh, in that moment. But unfortunately, there's things in life that we don't know for sure. And I think God has designed it that way for a reason, right? Um, I think it's, there's some things that are better off not knowing the answer to or not knowing for certain. But we're going to talk today in a passage, one thing that we can know. And it's something that, that I think 
as Christians, we often maybe uh, struggle with, and it's something that, that we need to remind ourselves of, and that is that we know that we can know God, and we know that we can, we, we have a certainty, we can be assured that, that we know him and that he knows us. Look at verse 3 from the passage that Sam just read for us. It says, we know that we have come to know him, if what? If we keep his commands. See, we're going to talk about two, uh, what I would call a litmus test for our relationship with God. Uh, one way that we can evaluate ourselves in terms of, uh, of, our, of our fellowship with him. John spent the first chapter of this letter and the first couple verses of chapter 2 talking about how we can have fellowship with God. And it's not based on our knowledge. It's not based on our goodness. It's not really based on anything we ourselves can do, but it's based completely on him and and what God has done for us in Christ, right? He is the atoning sacrifice. He's the righteous one, right? He's the one that brings us into a relationship with the father. All we need to do, the only response that is is necessary in our part is the response of, of faith and confession and repentance, The work has already been done. It's just a matter of us responding to what Christ has done in our lives. And so this passage, as as John states that, as we've talked about the last couple weeks, this passage is a a reminder, is an assurance that we can know that for sure, that as we confess our sins to him, we can know that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all all unrighteousness. And we can know that God is faithful and true because of the promises of his word and the fruit of that in our lives. John tells us two things. The litmus test for us as believers to know that we know God is, one, our obedience to him, and two, our love for others. And so that's what we're going to be talking about here today. Another way to, another way to, to, to maybe restate that question is, is, is it possible for me to know I'm in fellowship with God? And the answer that John gives here is yes. Um, Salvation is not a matter of guesswork. It can be known, unlike so many other things in our lives. And when John talks about knowing here, he's he's not talking just about information, right? Knowledge at one level is simple transmission of of information or transmission of facts. You know something to be true versus knowing something to be false. And on one level, that is. Uh, what knowledge is all about. But the knowledge that John is talking about here, and he talks about throughout his letters, is, is something more than that. It's that information, but it's also that information being experienced and lived out in a personal relationship with God. To know God is more than just to know about him. It's to be in that relationship with him. It's to act on the knowledge about who he is and actually live it out, be in relationship with him. It's experiential. It's, it's knowledge that's gained through being in a relationship with him. Uh, I'm a big sports fan, and, and you, know, you can see, uh, see how this plays itself out in, in, in the composition of a, of a team. Uh, you can have a lot of young guys, a lot of young athletes that, that are very, uh, very talented and have a lot of potential uh, versus a team that has a lot of veterans, right? But maybe their, their age is catching up to them a little bit and their, uh, maybe their talent level isn't quite, doesn't have quite the high ceiling that these rookies have. But more often than not, in many, many of those cases, it's the veterans that are going to beat the team full of rookies. And the reason for that, I believe, is because of the experience that they have. The knowledge not only of how to play the game, but the, experience, the knowledge that comes with the experience of having played it for years and years and years. 
right? And that, in a sense, is kind of what John is talking about here in terms of our knowledge of God. It's not just information that we download into our minds about who God is, but it's the experience of living life with him. It's the accumulation of years and years and years of of walking with God and being able to know him in a more real and intimate way. Think about the relationship with your spouse if you're married or or other maybe if you're not married a, a long-term friendship that you've had right your relationship with that other person grows and develops over time right your relationship with them is you know your relationship with your spouse is not the same as it was on your wedding day and that's a that's a good thing right your relationship grows and matures over time as you experience life with each other and that's what John is getting at here we can know God we can, we can know we're in a relationship with him based on that experience we have living with him and living for him. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus gives us the great commandment. The teachers of the law come to Jesus and they try to, they try to trap him in his words. And so one of them approaches him and asks him what the greatest commandment is. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. See, we can, God desires for us to live out our relationship with him through two things. Love for him and love for others. And what John is saying here is, is in, John, in 1 John chapter 2 is if you want to know whether you're really in fellowship with God, if your relationship with him is genuine and real and authentic, it's not about the information you know, but it's about how you live it out. It's about the love you have for God and the love you have for others. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, Jesus reminds the audience there uh, that, that we, can, we can know ourselves, we can know people by the fruit that is produced in their lives. In that particular passage, he's talking about the danger of false teachers within the church, but, but I think that same principle applies to all of us. We can evaluate ourselves by the fruit of our lives. Are, is God's love being made real? Or do, can we see evidence of it, or, or are we lacking See, God desires to make his love for us complete in our lives. And we experience that both internally and externally. There's an inward confirmation of God's love for us that Paul describes in Romans chapter 8. In this passage, Paul writes in verses, excuse me, verses 14 through 17. He says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies that we are, excuse me, with our spirit, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. In other words, God has brought us into the fam- his family. We are children of God, not, again, based on what we've done, but based on what Christ has done for us. And God has given us a spirit to, to confirm that in our hearts. And, and, our, and we experience God's love in our life as an internal confirmation 
that we are in fellowship with him. But more than that, we experience confirmation that we are in fact God's children, not just with that internal confirmation, but with living it out, an external or outward manifestation of God's love. We can know we are God's children when we see God's love flowing through us and into the world around us. In fact, in John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus tells his disciples, they will know you by your love. Right? The world will know that we are Christians, not by what we, how we dress or what church we attend, but by our love for each other. That's the true test of what it means to be a follower of Christ, is, is God's love being made real in our lives and being experienced in our world. And so John, 1 John says we, we, that plays itself out in two ways. First is obedience. He says that if, we are, if our, God's love is to be made complete in us, then we will be obedient to him. It says that we will keep his commandments. Again, the idea of, of keeping something is about that regular, continual obedience. And it's more than just doing something begrudgingly, right? It's more than just, just following God out of a sense of duty or obligation. But it's, but it's an actual desire to obey him. In Psalm 19, the psalmist talks about how we are to treasure God's law and value it more than anything this world has to offer. I want to read Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14 for you. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. May, may the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Notice we need to, we need to treasure God's word as something we desire to do, right? Rather than something we have to do. I think there's a big difference there between, you know, and, and, and keeping God's word. Right? There, there's, there's at one level, there's the outward act of obedience, right? Just simply doing what God wants us to do. And that is one level of keeping God's commands and, and, and um, obeying him. But that outward obedience should flow from an inward motivation. In other words, God knows our heart. And he knows when we're doing something against our will. Or he knows when we're doing something begrudgingly. He knows when our heart's not in it. And so simply just to obey God for the sake of obeying him and out of some sort of sense of duty and obligation is not what God truly desires. He desires not only our outward actions to be in the right place, but also the, the motivation in our heart. It's the difference between I want to do something and I have to do it. And that only, I think, comes through spiritual maturity. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus tells his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now notice what Jesus says here. He doesn't say, If you keep my commandments, I will love you. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus here is speaking to the motivation of our hearts. Is it truly our heart's desire to obey God? 
Is it truly our heart's desire to, to serve him and to love him by, by doing what he desires for us to do? Right? In one sense, there's, there's this idea of I have to do something, which, which means like, what's the bare minimum I need to do to get by? Right? What, what are the minimum requirements here in terms of following God so that I can be considered in relationship with him? You see how that kind of mindset can be, can be dangerous and misleading? Because what's our, what's our motivation then? It's not really about pleasing God and loving him. It's about what we get out of that relationship. What's the bare minimum that I can do to still receive the benefits of knowing God? Versus a perspective or an attitude that says, I want to serve him, which, is, which goes above and beyond the minimum requirements and speaks to the actual desire to love God by obeying him. It's that inward motivation of, of loving Jesus. It's about loving the one who gives the commands, not necessarily the commands themselves. So the question we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to obey Jesus no matter what other people think, no matter what other people do or, or may say about us? Are we willing to obey Jesus even when it's hard or inconvenient, right? That's a true test of love, right? Not doing it because it's easy, but doing it because, even when it's the most difficult because of our love for him. You see, our, our outward act, but also our inward motivation needs to go hand in hand. Jesus had a lot, excuse me, scripture in general, and Jesus also had a lot to say about what we call hypocrisy, right? Where, where our outward obedience may be in the right place, but our heart is, is far from it. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Hosea 6.6 6 says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, the acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And 1 Samuel 5.22, he says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And then Jesus, of course, in the New Testament, hammers this point home as he's speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. In Matthew 23, he calls them whitewashed tombs. Now think about that for a, for a second. What Jesus is saying by calling them whitewashed tombs, right? They lo- may look good on the outside. There may be a certain sense of beauty about them. But what is, it, what is inside? Death and decay, right? A whitewashed tomb is not, not a good description if you're trying to follow the Lord. Right? You may say your, your outward appearance may be in the right spot. It may all look good and fancy and new, but on the inside, you're dead. Right? That's what it means for our outward actions to be in the right place, but not have a lack of love for the Lord in our heart. And so obedience is, is evidence. It's a sign pointing to our, our fellowship with God and, and his love being made complete in us. But it's important for us to remember that that while obedience is evidence of our salvation, it is not the means of our salvation. James 2, uh, excuse me, um, uh, we are saved by grace, right? Obedience then is our response to God's love for us. We know we are saved if we have a desire to live for him and our life is, is geared towards obeying the Lord. <clears throat> James chapter 2 reminds us that faith without works is dead, Right? Faith is proved genuine. Faith is proved real by the way we live our lives, right? By the actions of our lives. If we truly trust God, if we've been made right with him, then our, our lives are going to line up more and more with Christ's life. 
We're going to be obedient to his word. We're going to have a desire to love him and love others. And a lack of that in our lives is maybe a wake-up call, right? Do we truly love God if we're not willing to allow his love to be made complete in us? And so the first evidence of our salvation is, is our love, or excuse me, our willing to obey the Lord and his commands. And the second, just as important, is for our love for others. Remember the great commandment that Jesus shared, love for God and love for others? They go hand in hand. And it's impossible to have one without the other. Love is a favorite word of John's here in this letter. It's used some 24 times in the 105 verses. And he's speaking of a, of a Christ-like love. Love that is unselfish, that gives without expecting anything in return. He says here in 1 John that it's a new command, but yet it's an old one, right? It's an old command. All the way back in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, God instructs us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so when Jesus reminds his disciples of the greatest commandment, when he reminds them to love each other, it's not like he's creating a new idea or a new commandment. This is as old as Scripture itself. But it's new in the sense of the, the focus, the quality. There's a new emphasis and a new example and a new experience because of what Christ has done for us. We can experience the love of God through the Holy Spirit each and every day. <clears throat> Romans 5.5 5 says, uh, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Right, And as God pours out his love for us in our own hearts, he wants us that to then overflow in our lives so that others can experience God's love as well. Think of it like a multi-tiered fountain, right? We've all seen those and how they work, right? The, the water comes up to that, that top tier and then overflows and pours out into those other tiers. Think of our lives in the same way. That top tier is our relationship with God. And as we, as we experience his love through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, as we, as we better understand what Christ did for us on the cross and apply the gospel to our lives, that top tier is filled up. But it's not meant to just stay there. It's not meant to just, to just stay contained in the top tier. It's meant to overflow into our lives, into every other aspect of our lives, so that God's love may be known and experienced there as well, whether that's our family, our, our spouse, our work, our community, right? Our God's love is meant to overflow in our lives so that others may see and experience it as well. That's what it means to walk in the light as he's talking about here. You know, walk in the light of God's love rather than walk in, the, in, in darkness and, and, well, the hate that that brings. Right? We can't live with our feet on both sides of the fence. It's impossible to both praise God and hate our neighbor. That's what James reminds us of in, in James chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Right? He says you can't get fresh water and salt water from the same spring. We, can't, we, shouldn't, both, we shouldn't praise God with our lips in one moment and then, and then curse our neighbor in the next. That's incompatible with following Christ. If God's love is made complete in us, then it's going to be seen and experienced in our lives and how we treat other people. Right? Walking in darkness can be a painful experience for ourselves and others. Right? When we allow God's love, or excuse me, when we don't allow God's love to be experienced in our lives, when we instead walk in darkness, right, that can that has its own set of problems. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has woken up in the middle of the night to try to get somewhere, right, and stubbed my toe on the end of the bed. Right? That is not a fun experience. 
as you were walking in the darkness. That, that's what life is like apart from the love of God made real in our lives. It's like stumbling our way in the darkness. And you don't know what's out there that you're going to stub your toe on. You don't know what little Legos are laying on the ground that you're going to step on barefoot, right? It can be painful for ourselves and for others, walking around blind in this world. We can cause others to stumble with our hate as well. There's a lot of damage that can be done with a hateful attitude towards others or even an indifferent attitude towards others. You see, our attitude leads to conduct. If we allow our, our hate to fester, if we allow our indifference towards others to fester in our lives, it will eventually make itself known in our attitude and in our conduct. And if we're walking in the darkness, we're walking directionless. Right? Allowing hate to have a foothold in our lives leads to spiritual blindness. So we need to walk in the light. We need to walk in such a way where God's love is made complete, made real in our lives. And when we do that, it makes all the difference in the world. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that we can be the most successful people in the world. We can be the, most, we can be the best leaders. We can be the best husband or wife or child. We can be the best boss or coworker or employee. But if we're doing all of that without love, we're missing the point. We're like resounding gongs and clanging cymbals. Right? It is God's love in our lives that makes, that brings purpose and brings meaning and gives us direction. We often wonder what God's will for our lives is. And I can, I can tell you right now, again, one of those things we want to know, right? What does God desire of me? What does God want me to do? Why am I here? I can tell you that for sure right now, what God's will is for your life. It's to love God and to love other people. And in the process of that, make disciples of all nations. Right? That's God's will for each and every person that's ever lived, that's ever been created. It's to love God and to love others. And that love, to love others means that we love like Jesus loved us. John 3, 16 and 17 says that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the kind of love that God wants us to show and to share with others. And so what does it mean to love like Jesus? Well, he, he, he loved people by being concerned about, with both their spiritual and their physical needs. Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. He shared the good news of the gospel. He lived it out in his life through his death and his resurrection. And he also cared about their physical needs as well. He healed the sick. He provided for the hungry. He showed love and compassion to the outcasts. He was concerned for both their spiritual and physical needs. Jesus loved by loving his enemies. He wasn't just nice to the people who were nice to him, but he showed love even to those who rejected him. As he was being nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He offered love and forgiveness, even when it cost him everything. And that leads us to the last point, that Jesus' love was self-giving. Jesus loved without expecting anything in return. He willingly laid down his life for us, even while we were still sinners. Even for those who were nailing him to the cross even for those who had sinned over and over and over again, right? Which is all of us. That's the love that, that God showed us through Christ, and so therefore that's the love that we need to show others. A love that is willing to put 
put others first and to love even when it's the most difficult and even when it's going to cost us everything. That's when God's love is made complete in our lives. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you have shown us your love through Christ and that we can experience that each day through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would make your love complete in our lives by by enabling us to be obedient to you and by showing that love to others. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's stand and let's sing uh, number 284 from our blue hymnals. They will know we are Christians by our love. Before we go, I just want to invite you and remind you that a new Sunday school class is starting uh, today after the service in the ministry center. All are welcome. And we have our sign-up sheets for the Connected Bible Study right back there on a, on a table by the info center. So I just want to encourage you to check those out uh, so, we, so we can continue to study the Lord's Word together. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You may go in peace.